0: I Lived with a Killer is part of the Real Crime Collection in the Reels files on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Be sure to subscribe to get new episodes each Thursday. Then, go to reels.com to find chilling programs like this when you watch TV. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com for the Real Crime series and specials you'll find only on Reels Channel.
1: John Smith's former wives are both
2: missing one missing wife could be an unfortunate tragedy two missing wives is suspicious
1: and wife number three thinks she's finally met a wonderful man
3: he seemed like the perfect gentleman to me
1: when fbi agents realize they're dealing with a serial killer they go on high alert
4: when i learned that john had married diane it was reasonable to be worried as she was
1: in danger
3: He said, you need to get away from him. I'm afraid for your life.
1: And Diane and her daughter are forced into action.
5: If I wasn't there in that
3: kitchen that day, he would have killed her. And I realized then that I needed to help the FBI do whatever I could do to help bring John to justice so he couldn't do this to anybody else.
1: John Smith is unlucky in love losing not one, but two wives under mysterious circumstances. But when the FBI proves foul play, they track the mysterious Mr. Smith across four states, hoping to get to wife number three in time. In California, single mom Diane has no idea what she's in for when she agrees to let a friend set her up on a date with a new man.
4: Diane Beasley, ex-wife.
3: I met John through a mutual friend. I was not looking for another relationship at all. I had been divorced for three years and I was comfortable with occasionally dating.
1: But on their first date, in early June 1998, John makes a good impression.
3: He was really sweet, really nice, very polite, wasn't the best looking guy in the world, (laughs) but he was... Sweet to me. He seemed like the perfect um, gentleman to me.
1: The pair hit it off and begin a relationship.
3: We had a lot in common. He worked for a car manufacturer, and he had fast cars there. He had all kinds of different vehicles, new cars, old cars, vintage cars. I've always loved cars he would always come up and visit me at work in a new car. Diane's new beau couldn't be more ordinary.
4: Michael Fleeman, author, Stranger in My Bed.
2: John Smith is that kind of nondescript man you meet and quickly forget. He is tall, and skinny, bug-eyed, jug-eared. He's a little socially awkward, but there was a sweetness beneath that. He could be very attentive, he could be very nice and he could be kind of like the the stray dog that you want to bring in from the rain. John grew up in Ohio. He was raised with his brother, mostly by his grandparents. It was a very kind of any town USA childhood. He did all the things that kids in the rural Midwest did in those days, hung out at the farm and hung out with his family and watched ball games on TV. Like Diane, John has been married before
3: when we were first dating that first week of course you're talking about you know your past and i said have you been married he told me that he was married very very young and the marriage didn't work out and they divorced he was married a second time and that was quite a while ago and she had cancer and she unfortunately um passed away he said that he loved her very much
1: Proof of John's enduring love for his late wife, Fran, is a large portrait on his living room wall. Summer Hathaway,
4: daughter.
3: The photograph was a huge big picture. It looked like a glamour shot of his wife. I mean, it was endearing to me that he had this picture of her and he had another one in his wallet, too, that he carried around with him.
1: But not everyone finds the display appealing. Diane's daughter, Summer, is uncomfortable when she notices it at a dinner party.
5: I said, oh, who is that? My mom said, oh, that's, that's Fran, that's his last wife. She died of cancer. But it was all by itself on the wall. There was, like, nothing around it. It was just stuck there on the wall. I think it was kind of strange, but the fact that she died of cancer, you know, he still loved her. So I, you know, just put it out of my mind at that point.
1: From the start, John strikes Summer as odd.
5: There was something off about him, but I didn't really know, you know, what it was. You couldn't put your finger on it, but you just knew he was different. He wasn't the normal guy my mom dates.
1: After barely three months together, John surprises Diane with a marriage proposal.
3: I was in shock, and I thought, this is really too soon that night i remember telling him you know i am not in love with you you know i might be in love with you you know later on down the line but i am not in love with you right now do you still want to get married he doesn't seem to care that i wasn't in love with him you know he was thoroughly convinced that eventually i would um grow to love him
1: diane decides to accept john's proposal
5: when I heard they were getting married, I didn't know what red flags were back then, but you just know that, oh, that's kind of weird. That's kind of fast.
1: The day before the wedding, Diane catches John behaving strangely.
3: He was having a bachelor party at the house, and I was in the guest house. A friend came in to me and he said, John is up on the computer. He has not come down here for his bachelor party or anything. So I went up to confront John about it. Right before I got into the room, I saw John at the computer. And when he saw me, he turned it off right away. I said, everybody's having this party for your bachelor party, and you haven't even gone down there to greet your guests or anything. I said, what are you doing on the computer? And he says, I'm ordering parts. So that's all he said about it. At that time, I believed everything he told me. I didn't have any reason not to.
1: Unfortunately for Diane, nearly everything John tells her is a lie. His first marriage is not the innocent, youthful affair he describes. Years earlier, John makes another impulsive marriage decision and elopes with his high school sweetheart, Janice
2: Hartman. At age 19, right after graduating from high school, John and Janice hop on his motorcycle, and that's the last anyone saw of them for a while. They come back, and they are husband and wife. They have eloped in Detroit. This marriage only lasted four years or so, and it was undone, really, by John's temper. John and Janice would get into these horrible, horrible verbal altercations. He would yell, and she would yell, and would get really noisy. And then, after a while, it went from yelling to hitting people saw bruises on her face and on her arm and it became very very disturbing and very very concerning for her family and they were very worried about her being alone with john janice was so tired of his controlling nature and his temper that she finally filed for divorce after the divorce filing janice has to get a job she has no skills but she always loved to dance and she was outgoing and bubbly, and it was a big personality. So she put on her go go boots and became a go go dancer at a bar. And this enraged John. She was working out of his control, you know, showing herself off in front of other men.
1: On November 17th, 1974,
2: only three days after their divorce is finalized, Janice disappears. Just days after the divorce, another argument erupts between John and Janice. This one, not just yelling, not just hitting, but in the end, Janice ends up dead.
1: Two days after murdering his ex-wife, John files a missing persons report.
2: Police investigate, but they don't do a real enthusiastic job of looking for her. Due diligence, but that's about it. They can't find Janice. There are some reports that she was seen with a guy getting into a car. There were other reports that maybe there was some kind of altercation and drinking with some other men the night before. But nothing really pans out, and the case is eventually dropped.
1: Safe from suspicion, John disposes of Janice's body and moves on with his life. Unaware of her fiancé's murderous past, Diane marries John on September 5th, 1998. The first weeks of Diane's marriage are blissful.
3: The wedding present that John had given me was a Ferrari. I was thrilled at getting it. Perfect wedding gift for me. Perfect for me, because I love cars.
1: Diane's new husband is generous, but it doesn't take long for cracks to show in his Prince Charming facade... While at a car show, Diane gets the impression that John is trying to get rid of her when he sends her on a fool's errand.
3: We we're having a great time and all of a sudden he says, I need some flyers from the car company. Can you go and get them? You can go through a, a gate in the back because I don't have the keys to the front gate with me. So I said, okay, so I took off and I went to the gate that he told me to go to and I couldn't get in and it was locked. And so I looked around and went to the other gate that he normally goes in and out of. And I can't get into this one either. And I left and went back to John. And I said, I couldn't get in there. He said, oh, well, I didn't need him anyway. So I thought, well, that was odd.
1: Then, as she follows John home from the car show, Diane witnesses John's violent temper for the first time.
3: On the way back, I was following him. I could see him pounding the steering wheel. I'd never seen him like that before. He was just, just out of his head. We drove up to the car company and he whipped out his keys and went through the front gate. And I thought, well, he told me he didn't have the gate keys and I couldn't get in there. Later on, more and more of those little quirky things started happening.
1: Diane has no idea she's married a murderer. And she's only beginning to see the signs that her new husband may not be what he seems.
0: What is going to Did you know you can stream the I Lived with a Killer TV series, as well as Reels' companion programs, Murder Made Me Famous and Autopsy, on Roku and Fire TV? Well, you can. Just download the Reels app and subscribe. If you've got Prime Video, Reels is on Amazon channels too. I Live With a Killer comes from the Real Crime Fans at Reels Channel. Find Reels on your TV by going to Reels.com. That's R E E L Z.com.
1: Despite his average sounding name, John Smith is anything but. After a short, tumultuous marriage, John murders his first wife, Janice, and reports her as a missing person. When he meets Diane, he proposes after a whirlwind three-month courtship.
3: I've been married before, you know, I wasn't really looking to be married. But we were having such a good time and I thought, you know, why not?
1: All Diane knows about her new husband's past is that he's a widower. A portrait of John's second wife, Fran, hangs on the living room wall as a
3: memorial. He was at her bedside when she passed away from cancer. So I felt for him. You no, know, that he was in love with her.
1: But John Smith's second wife, Betty Fran Gladden, is not a victim of cancer. Like his first wife, Janice, after a brief marriage, Fran mysteriously disappears.
2: After Janice's disappearance, John moves from Ohio to Indiana. He's not able to hold a job, he works at different places, he's dating different women. In 1990, he moves to Florida, and that's where he meets Fran Gladden. Fran is working at a technology company. She's petite and blonde and very pretty. She's 10 years older than John. He's there on a contract basis working for the same company. They get to know each other, and very quickly, John pops the question. And Fran's a little surprised, but she says yes.
1: After the couple relocates to New Jersey,
2: the marriage sours. John's marriage to Fran hits bumps very soon. And a lot of this is over John's sneaky and strange behavior. John would disappear and Fran would say, where were you? And his explanation never made any sense. Fran was determined to make the marriage work. So she was willing to overlook things, danger signs that she probably wouldn't otherwise have done.
1: Shortly before Labor Day in 1991, Fran is injured in a fall.
2: Fran steps on some wet tile. She falls down and breaks her hip. Now Fran is an invalid. She can't even leave the house. She's in excruciating pain. She's at John's mercy. One
1: month later, the injured Fran mysteriously disappears.
2: John says he comes home one day and Fran is gone and that she's left this bizarre note. Be back in a couple of days. Feed the fish. After a
1: few days, Fran's family becomes worried that they haven't heard from her.
2: Hello? Fran's daughter calls John and says, you know, where's my mom? What's going on? And John says, I thought she was with you. And the daughter says, no, she's not with me. I thought she was with you. Fran's daughter is incensed that John has not called the police. She threatens him and says, look, if you don't call the police, I am coming up from Florida to New Jersey and I'll do it myself. John finally says, "Okay, fine, I'll go to the police. But he acts like it's a big hassle.
1: John finally files a missing persons report with the local police department. But as investigators look into the case, they soon realize
2: that something doesn't add up. When police arrive at John and Fran's condo, they find that her personal belongings and her car are still there police then find out about Fran's broken hip. Now, this seems extremely odd that she would take off without telling John or without telling her family.
1: But investigators are even more perplexed by John Smith's bizarre
2: attitude. John is questioned at length by police, and yet he doesn't seem concerned that his convalescing wife has disappeared. In fact, he's treating this whole thing as a big inconvenience. During the investigation, police find out that John had been married before to this woman named Janice. And they asked John, you know, whatever became of that marriage. And he says, no, we got divorced. It was amicable. But police in New Jersey called the police in Wayne County, Ohio, and they pulled the file. And what did they find but that John's first wife disappeared? There are haunting similarities between the two cases. One missing wife could be an unfortunate tragedy. Two missing wives is suspicious. But with nothing more
1: to go on, the disappearance goes unsolved for years. In 1998, FBI Special Agent Robert Hilland opens a new investigation. I was working on a cold case homicide squad in New York
4: office. I was familiar with the case because when John had reported his wife Betty Fran missing in 1991, I was a police officer in West Winds, New Jersey. So when I left the department to join the FBI, certainly I remember the case. So anytime you start a cold case homicide an investigation, you want to go back and look at all the original investigative efforts, but you also want to figure out where are your people now? Where, what are they doing? What's their status? And at that time, when I first picked the case up, John was nowhere to be found. I got all the police records, started reviewing them, looking for new opportunities, new leads, anything that
1: could help us. The FBI investigation gets a break when John's police record reveals a 1996 arrest in Ohio for a traffic
2: violation. Police stop John on a speeding violation. They look into his wallet and they find this photo. And it's a photo of a woman. And John says, Oh, this is my girlfriend.
4: The only thing he would tell them, it's my girlfriend from New Hampshire. So one of the things I needed to figure out early on was, who is this woman? Was,
1: uh, was this another wife? Was it a girlfriend? Was it a victim? Agent Hilland uses a logo on the photo to track down the New Hampshire woman. Thank you. When he questions her, Hilland learns that John has relocated to California.
2: The photo leads police to the woman. The woman leads police to John now... Authorities know where John Smith is living in California. They can go find him.
1: But Agent Hilland also learned something troubling.
4: A woman in New Hampshire had been in a relationship with John for many years. She told us that John had moved to California, had established a new life out there, new work, new friends. But even more importantly, he has a new wife. When I learned that John had married Diane, it was reasonable to be worried that she was in danger.
1: We immediately put surveillance on them. Unaware that the FBI is watching their every move, Diane enjoys life with her husband.
3: We were doing things every weekend. We had a trip to Italy planned. You know, it was just fun and games.
1: (laughs) Until May 5th, 1999, when the FBI finally swoops in. On May 5, 1999, um,
4: the FBI coordinated a series of simultaneous interviews across the United States, specifically concerning the disappearance of his uh, two wives.
2: So in different states, they're talking to friends, family, associates of John, all these people who might know something, they want to do it all at the same time because police don't want to tip off John, that they're on to him.
1: Diane is at work when FBI agents approach.
3: Two men and a lady came into the office in suits. They announced who they were, that they were the FBI, and they asked me if I knew John Smith. I said, yes, I'm married to John Smith. And they ushered me into an interview room right off the side of my office. I ended up being in there for two hours. They behaved just like you see in the movies. I mean, rude, accusatory, and grilling me about my past relationships and how failed they were and my marriages. Then,
1: the agents drop a bombshell.
3: They told me about a girl that John was seeing from New Hampshire and showed me a card that he had just sent to her with a dozen flowers. And the card said, I, I love you. Can't wait to see you again. He was still in contact with her before we were married, right before we were married, after we were married. His first wife, and he wanted to know if I knew about her, and then proceeded to tell me about his second wife, that both of them were missing, and he was suspected of killing them. I was in total, total shock. I could not believe that they were telling me all of this about John Smith, because I did not see anything but love for me through John's eyes. And anything I wanted, anything I wanted to do, John was all, what do you want to do, baby? I did not believe a word they said.
4: It was very clear to me when I sat with Diane, she was shell-shocked. The FBI had just informed her that a man that she had just married was potentially a serial killer. And I wanted to explain to her what we knew I wanted to express my concern for her safety. John was married to two women, who both of whom disappeared.
1: After the interrogation, Diane returns to her desk, exhausted and confused.
3: I wanted to talk to John and hear his side of the story, too. I wanted to hear what he was going to tell me. John was talking a mile a minute saying that everything that the FBI told me about him was all lies, and they said these before, turned everybody against him, all of his co-workers, and that's why he left Ohio. And I was still in total shock about what I had heard. I didn't know who to believe at that time.
1: The FBI fails to convince Diane that her husband is a killer. But on the other side of the country, their tactic pays off.
4: One of the people we interviewed on that May 5th day was John's younger brother, Michael, in Wayne County, Ohio. It was very clear that Michael likely knew something. Michael welled up the courage to disclose to us a very
1: dark family secret that he had been living with for years. John Smith seems like an average guy with an average name when he meets and marries Diane. But like the depraved husband in Guillermo del Toro's 2015 thriller, Crimson Peak, Smith has lost his former wives under mysterious and sinister circumstances. Diane is stunned when the FBI shows up at her Oceanside, California office to warn her that her husband is a killer.
3: I was still in total shock about what I had heard. I didn't know who to believe at that time.
5: So my mom called me. And she told me, you'll never believe what happened today. It's something like in, like that you read in a grocery store magazine. She told me that John was um, being investigated for murder.
1: At home, the two women confront John about the FBI's allegations.
5: He was telling us it was a drug deal gone wrong. John said that they were involved in some type of witness protection program. It had to do with some drug involvement, and they had to hide her, and then a mobster came and took her. He made it very believable.
1: Still reeling from the allegations, Diane and Summer are open to John's wild story.
5: It's unreal at the time. You process it differently, so you're just, like, in shock, and you're not really scared. You're trying to piece everything together, so it's not real. It's like you're someone else on the outside looking at.
3: I never saw the bad side of John, ever. So I was never afraid of him. I had to weigh everything that the FBI told me and the way John had treated me while we were married. This has never been in your life. You've never been to jail,
5: you've never been arrested. And all of a sudden, somebody close to you in your now immediate family You're told that they possibly murdered somebody. It's very hard for things to sink in and just to see one side of it. You always want to believe that other person that you thought was a typical good person.
1: As the women struggle to decipher the truth, FBI agents hear a different wild story from John's brother in Wayne County, Ohio. Michael tells the FBI about John's behavior following the disappearance of his wife, Janice.
2: Michael talks to the FBI, and he tells them about this weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, 1974. And he remembers it because they were watching the Ohio State-Michigan football game on television. And over that weekend, John is building a box in the garage, a crude wooden box. At some point, Mike walked out and
4: saw John building something out of wood and he asked John hey what are you doing John explained uh, you know Jan had left some of her belongings behind and he was building a box you know to to keep them in John is standing next to this box and there's a pile of Janice's clothing on the floor and what Michael describes is John is picking up each piece of clothing and and putting it in, in this box Michael's still confused, and it makes sense to him, so well, you know, if you're gonna build a box, why don't we build like a nice chest or something nice? And John basically dismisses Mike and says, leave me alone. So Michael returns to the house and continues watching the football game.
2: This crude wooden box then remains in the garage for the next five years.
4: Five years later, it was discovered by the
2: grandfather. Michael is eating his lunch one day when his grandfather comes in and has this look of sheer panic on his face. He says, something's wrong, something's terrible. So Michael goes into the garage and he sees that wood box that John had built years earlier. He pries open the lid of the box and a musty smell hits him.
4: He notices some clothing that's kind of discolored. It has kind of a funky smell to it. He moves some some things around, and that's when he realizes that Janice Hartman's body is in that box. Janice had been dismembered, and her legs had been uh, cut off below the knee.
2: Staring up at him, the mummified face of Janice. This box has been left in the garage for five years, ever since John built it after Janice disappeared. A terrified Michael calls John, demanding an explanation. Michael is freaking out. He says, John, you got to get down here. John's living 300 and something miles away in Indiana.
1: By the time he arrives in Ohio,
2: John is ready with an excuse. Michael says, John, what is going on here? And John has a story, and it's a crazy story. The sheriff was there. He
4: told him this ridiculous story that drug dealers had killed Janice and dropped her dead body off. Uh, for him and he panicked, didn't know what to do or so he, he built this box and put her in the box
2: Michael tells the FBI that after hearing this crazy story John shoves this box into his Corvette slams the door and drives off and that's the last time Michael ever saw that box
1: Michael agrees to help the FBI obtain the proof they need to bring John in Michael's story was great but we needed evidence, we needed to corroborate the things that he was telling us The FBI instructs Michael to trick his brother into incriminating himself over the phone while they record every word.
2: Hello. Hey,
3: I got serious deep here, John. I'm going there to New York, and I'm going to tell them the truth. That's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell them that we seen you build a box, Granddad and I opened the box, we found Jan in it, you know? That's what I'm-a-doing. I cannot see any other way out of this. I am
2: not going to go to jail for you, John. No, I wouldn't expect you to. Okay.
4: Ultimately, we were hoping John was going to make some kind of statement that corroborated the box's existence.
2: Then here's
3: the best part. Okay. I get to do a polygraph test the next day. You do? Yes, I do. Okay. So I'm not going there to lie. No, I don't expect you to. Yeah, it's real simple. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know what else to say to you. Well, I don't
2: either. But John's cagey in this call, and he seems to smell a rat. And John really never says anything that incriminating this whole plan fails.
1: As the FBI moves on to a new plan, Diane and Summer tread cautiously around John.
5: We did look at John differently. We did. I mean, you'd be, you know, stupid not to. You know, you always had that one eye open when you're sleeping around him because you just don't know the truth at that point.
1: But everything changes when John suddenly disappears and Diane receives a new warning from an unexpected source. John Smith is not the nice, average guy his name suggests. After murdering his first wife, he stashes her dismembered body in a box in his garage. FBI agent Robert Hilland is determined to bring John to justice and is concerned for John's third wife, Diane, who is confused and horrified.
3: It was a terrible struggle knowing that I had been married for the last seven months to a man that could have done such terrible, horrific things.
1: Diane resists the truth about her husband until he suddenly disappears.
3: John and I went out to dinner at one of our favorite places, and he was acting very, very odd. He didn't eat, which was really strange. He was fidgety. All of a sudden, he said, "Um, well, I'll meet you back home. I dropped him off at his work. When I got home, I noticed in the side of my car... He had left his wallet there with money in it, with his driver's license and his keys, and he never came home. Next morning I called Bob Hillen. They did not have him. They were wondering where John was. I said, I have no idea. I got a call from John's brother, Michael. i had never talked to him before. Michael asked me if I knew where John was. I said, no, he's been gone since yesterday. I don't know where he is. The FBI doesn't have him, have no idea. And he says, Diane, he says, you need to get away from him. I'm afraid for your life.
1: Three days after disappearing, John Smith returns with yet another wild story.
5: What he told us was he was across the, the freeway at a hotel. The FBI had him and were questioning him.
2: And they're torturing me. Why? They're trying to get me to confess. That the
3: FBI held him and didn't give him food or water. I did not believe anything John told me because I had already been talking to the FBI and I know that they didn't have him. He didn't go to Ohio to visit his brother because his brother, Michael, had called me, wondering where he was. I knew that whatever he was telling me was a lie.
1: Realizing that the FBI's allegations about her husband are all true, Diane makes a dangerous decision.
3: I realized then that I needed to help the FBI do whatever I could do to help bring John to justice so he couldn't do this to anybody else.
1: As Diane secretly initiates annulment proceedings, she and Summer begin spying on John, hoping to find information to pass on to the FBI.
3: I was gathering information, computer information, going through pockets, looking for odd things that he was doing. I would go through his computer.
5: He knew how to hide things on there, from what I was told. I would go into his closet, his little area in the closet, and look through his pockets. I would look just anywhere
3: and everywhere, any little crevices I could find. We were looking through his computer and found pornographic stuff. I was finding cards. I was finding cash, big amounts of cash. And then the next day, they would be gone, thinking that he went to work and came home not knowing what had, you know, happened to the cash.
1: When the annulment papers are
2: ready, the
1: women brace themselves for what will happen next.
2: Diane files her annulment. She gets a restraining order against John. But the danger is not gone, because this is the most dangerous time, when a woman tries to separate herself from him. This is what happened with the first two wives, and both of them disappeared.
3: When I knew that John was being served the annulment papers, I had changed the locks on my house. I had changed my phone number. They had already talked to the local police, and I told them if I give them a call, that means that they need to get over here right away because John is here in my house, and he will kill me. He knew that's where he would come first once he was served the papers.
5: He has a very loud car, and we heard the car coming. He came up the stairs like two at a time, and he had this look on his face like you, I mean, it wasn't a mad person. It wasn't an angry person. It was a devil person. We started hearing him throw his body against the door, and my mom picked up the phone, and I grabbed a jar of candy to hit him over the head if he tried anything.
3: I was talking to the police. I said, John is coming here. He's coming up the stairs. And he just broke down the
5: door. I didn't know someone could be that angry. I remember my heart was pounding out of my chest. The adrenaline starts rushing, and you wonder, are you going to be dead? You know, you wonder, how is he going to kill you?
3: Plain and simple, you're scared. When he saw Summer, his demeanor totally changed. And he looked at me and he said, why are you doing this to me, baby? Let's talk, I wanna to talk to you. And I said, no, John, I have the police on the phone. They're on their way here right now. You need to get out of here. And he said, I just wanna to talk to you. And I said, you need to get out of here. Or you're gonna be arrested. And he turned around and left. He did change when he saw me.
5: If I wasn't there, in that kitchen that day, he would have killed her.
1: Diane's encounter with the real John Smith has a profound impact.
3: Since I wasn't communicating with him and I wasn't talking to him, he started sending me flowers to work every single day. I got huge bouquets of flowers with these notes that said, I love you. I got those for, like, over a month. I didn't want them. I didn't want to talk to him.
1: While the women cope with their traumatic encounter, the FBI's new tactic finally pays off when a development in yet another state blows the case wide open. The County Sheriff's Office sent letters to the tri-state area
4: of Ohio, Indiana, Michigan. And by divine intervention, one of the letters fell on the right
1: desk. John Smith is under investigation by the FBI for the mysterious disappearances of his first two wives. Fearing for her own life, his third wife, Diane, seeks an annulment.
3: I knew that whatever he was telling me was a lie.
1: After John's brother Michael admits to the FBI that John stashed his first wife's body in a box, authorities begin a massive search for the box's location. At the time the box was
4: discovered and Mike made the phone call to John, John was living in Hammond, Indiana. The Wayne County Sheriff's Office sent letters to the tri-state area of Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, and by divine intervention, one of
1: the letters fell on the right desk. A retired sheriff in Indiana receives the letter and recalls a strange case from 20 years earlier. In
2: 1980, Jerry Burnham deputy for the newton county sheriff's department in indiana gets a radio call routine radio call road crew has seen a box on the side of the road we found this suspicious box on the side of the road can you take a look and he looks and it's the remains of a human being with the legs cut off below the knee. There are no missing persons reports for anybody matching the description of these bones. And so the department has no alternative but to bury the remains in an anonymous grave under the marker Jane Doe.
4: When we learned of the Jane Doe in the box that had been buried all these years, we made efforts with our evidence response team to go out to the cemetery and exhume
2: the body. Authorities test the DNA against the DNA of Janice Hartman's mother. It comes back as a match. These bones are those of Janice. I was in
4: shock when I got the call. It was hard to believe. It was working for something that you thought would never happen, and then,
1: by divine intervention, it did. It was truly one of those moments that I'll never forget. On October 3rd, 2000, Authorities arrest John Smith for the murder of his first wife. When they arrive at the house, Diane's daughter, Summer, is struck by the magnitude of the ordeal.
5: I heard this loud pounding, and they were saying, FBI, FBI. And I opened the door, and I said, oh, my God, I think he killed my mom. Did John kill my mom? That was like the first realness of the situation, the thing that sunk in, because... During this whole process, it was like everything was in a movie. This was the first day where I thought my mom was really dead. And the fact that he was arrested was just, oh, like a relief.
1: In July 2001, John Smith is put on trial in Ohio. Both Summer and Diane are called to testify.
3: I got a subpoena in the mail to go testify against him. I'd never been in court before like that. It was frightening, to say the least, because I'd never been involved in anything like that before. I've only seen, you know, TV shows. So it was scary for me.
1: At the trial, the prosecution is banned from mentioning Fran's disappearance. We had hoped that
4: we would be able to introduce the facts and circumstances surrounding Betty Fran's disappearance in the prosecution of John for Janice Hartman's death. And the judge determined that it was too prejudicial in nature and we were not allowed to use any of that information.
1: As the jury deliberates, Diane visits John in the Wayne County Jail.
3: I visited John in jail because I wanted to look him in the eye and ask him the question, did you murder Fran? He didn't admit to anything. He's still saying that he didn't do anything with Fran and he did not murder Janice.
1: Despite his denial, John Smith is found guilty of murder for the death of Janice Hartman. He's sentenced to a term of not less than 15 years to life. For those involved, the successful conviction is emotional.
5: When he was found guilty, it wasn't it wasn't a relief for us. It was for Jan. You know, after seeing her face in the clothes and seeing her family, it was a, re- a relief for them, not for us. We knew he was going to be found guilty. We knew it. There was no possible way get off um, but I was very ha- happy for Jan's family
4: <laughs> when the jury came back with a uh, verdict of guilty it felt like a weight had been lifted off of me but only half of it because I still feel I've been carrying the other
1: weight of, of Betty Fran all these years the ongoing search for the missing Betty Fran Gladden is immortalized in the 2006 movie murder on Pleasant Drive. In the aftermath of the trial, both Diane and Summer struggled to move on with their lives.
3: After John was convicted, I kind of went into seclusion. I wasn't dating because I couldn't trust anybody anymore, as far as the opposite sex, anyway. I was afraid. I wasn't letting anybody in. I went to work. I came home, and I didn't go anywhere, let alone date. It took me a good three years to get over that. I do not open a door if someone knocks. If I don't
5: know that they're coming, I don't care who's dropping off what, you know. I'll hide, and my heart like jumps out of my chest when, when a doorbell rings, when someone knocks on a door. I have cameras outside of my, my house just so I can see who's coming up, and even if I see them come up, I still won't answer the door. I don't trust people right off the bat anymore because he looked so nice. He acted so nice. But we know that that's not him. So it's very hard to trust people.
1: With time, Diane finds a way to move forward with her life.
3: My life today is a big turnaround from my fiasco with John. Happily married. Got married about a year after that. And happily married ever since.
1: But the lack of resolution in the case still haunts all those involved.
4: So a guy doesn't kill somebody in the 70s, and then again in the 90s, and not kill somebody between and after. The thing that haunts me today about this case is the real possibility that there are other victims out there that we don't know about and we may never know about.
3: Summer and I want to keep this story about John alive because Fran is still missing. And there might be a possibility, because of good behavior, he might be paroled out of prison. And nobody wants that, because he will murder again.
5: Our main thing is just to get the word out there, and perhaps somebody might see something that might jog their memory, so that Fran can be found. And she can have peace.
0: I Lived with a Killer comes from the real crime fans at Reels Channel. To find more original programs like this when you watch TV, go to Reels.com. That's R-E-E-L-C.com to find us on your system. You'll also find extras from the TV version of I Lived with a Killer, including tell-all interviews with family members and crime scene photos. You'll get only on Reels Channel.